Before we begin, dear listeners, a slight taciturn admonition. Tonight's episode is not for the faint of heart, even amongst our most enthusiastic of listeners. There will be elements of grotesquerie, body horror, and violence. Characters will endure and conduct unethical medical experimentation, often through the use of coercion. There will be unpleasant descriptions, and occasionally unpleasant sounds. Listen of your own volition, and remember this. You were warned. And now, without further ado, let us begin. work, and of course I'm glad he's found something to make him so happy. <laughs> What woman wouldn't want that for the man she's engaged to marry? But it is absolutely unreasonable of him to spend so much time. Oh, it's all well and good that he's found himself something to do, but this is not at all a proper job for a man, for my husband. I would never have agreed with him moving into this awful, smelly warehouse if I thought he would stay here for months. It's nearly Christmas. Next thing, he'll say he plans to be here for the New Year as well. He is just going to have to remember that we are about to be husband and wife, and then it will be his responsibility to provide Lovely, for me. sweetheart. We didn't have plans today, I don't think. Did we? No, Teddy dear. But... I was in the neighborhood, and I thought I would drop in and oh, see then you. Oh, wonderful, because the doctor needs me, and I have so many things to Frederick, do. we need to talk. Yes, of, of course. I can find time soon. This weekend, uh, by then we should be finished with what we're working we on. We need to talk now. Ah, well, I see. In private, Frederick? Uh, um, yes. Uh, why don't we, uh, uh my rooms, uh... Oh, this place is a disgrace. I can't believe you live this way. I really must find you a maid. We have one. She hasn't come in I today. I will find you a proper maid. <sighs> Now... Teddy, dear, I would like you to know that I am, of course, proud of you. Oh, well, thank you very much. It is wonderful to see you find something to be passionate about. Yeah, oh yes, our work is quite I am obviously glad that you are doing so well for yourself. But things will, of course, have to change after the wedding. I change how? 
Why, darling, you'll be a Stanley. That is, I'll be a Kent, of course, but you'll be becoming part of my family as much as I will be a part of yours. And there are standards to uphold. As a Stanley, people have certain expectations. I'm sorry? We are members of society. There are obligations. I'm afraid I don't know what you mean, Lorraine. <sighs> really? So like a man. <laughs> Being charitable toward the poor is all well and good. Acts of philanthropy are perfectly lovely. But helping the poor is something entirely different from living with them. I think Daddy I... has found you a dear little townhouse in Dunwich, and he's already put in the offer. <laughs> you can't move in till we're married, of course, but we can start bringing your things over as soon as next week. So everything will be all ready for us to come home straight from the reception. And he's giving us a cook and a general maid as a wedding gift. Isn't that lovely? Lorraine, dear, what about it my book? It even has a room downstairs you can use as a clinic or examination room or whatever you call it. So you can continue your work from the house. That would not be at all Do appropriate for what I'm doing. interrupting, Teddy. As I was saying, there's a room downstairs for your work and three upstairs. One for us, one for my dressing room, and one for the children. Daddy says it is Perfect. I will not be moving my work. I am grateful to your father. I truly am. And the townhouse sounds very suitable. But my work is here, and I cannot simply relocate it to Dunwich. There are resources here we would not have access to, nor would there be space for the doctor's workshop. The doctor! He is my mentor, Lorraine. Without him, there is no work at all. Frederick, you cannot mean that you put more value in what that vampire thinks than what I do. Of course not, in matters of the heart. But you must admit that he is the authority in matters of science. <gasps> Why, I, I cannot help! Sweetheart, this is nothing at all for you to concern yourself with. As you've said many times, a man must be able to provide for his family. I have a career, a calling, that allows me to provide and benefit humanity. How many can say that? Oh, you can! Still, I promise it will always come second to you. But even second, it must be done here. Besides, you wouldn't want blood all over the couches and the smell of iodine in the air, would you? Don't worry, dear. It will all work out for the best. Why don't you stay for lunch? There's a deli just up the road. It doesn't look like much, but they make a very respectable sandwich. I'm afraid I have other plans. That's a shame, but if you can't, then I really must get back to work myself. Thank you for stopping by. It was very thoughtful of you. Of course. Goodbye, Frederick, dear. Ah, women. They will make trouble. <clears throat> she seems a sweet young girl who has her life, and yours for that matter, planned from tomorrow to the grave. Oh, yes, well, uh, she's very sure of what she wants.
Indeed, and quite aggressive in pursuing it. I suppose so. Uh, but what can I do for you, sir? I had thought you planned to spend the day in your workroom. Will we be opening for patients? No, no, I am working. However, I wish to tell you that I will be having visitors tonight. Uh, I'm sorry? Well, since it troubled you, sir, when I was last visited, I thought to warn you, rather than leave you to skulk about in alleys. We will not disturb you, and I ask that you afford us the same courtesy. Uh, oh, yes, uh, I understand. Thank you, Doctor. I knew I should do as he asked. He had been honest with me, told me both who his guests were and when they were coming again. I should have locked myself away in my room across the building from his workshop, took up a book, and pretended I had no interest in what they might be discussing, what they might be doing. But you did they? I did not. I told myself it was concern for the doctor that motivated me, that, new as he was to the city, he could not know these people, this order, well enough to trust them. That I would not really listen to what they discussed, I would simply place myself somewhere nearby, such that I could be ready in case he needed my assistance. Sure, you're just looking out for him. Though the space had been improved and partitioned into rooms, it still had begun its existence as a warehouse. There are places where, due to vagaries of the architecture, sounds were echoed or muted or strangely amplified. I had, quite by accident, discovered one such location where noise made inside the doctor's workshop could be heard clearly. It required I perched precariously on a stack of boxes, but as long as I held myself just so, I was in no danger. That evening, I placed myself there, reminding myself that I would not eavesdrop, just stay alert, for if trouble rose. Once the incantation is spoken, the transition takes only a few moments before the... well... I have been referring to it as medication. He's ready to be used. Um. Oh, tell him what it does, Albert. It really is incredible. It's medication. It is able to heal. Able to heal what? I have yet to come upon an illness or infirmity it could not resolve. Like I said, it's incredible. Just think of the uses this could be put to in pursuit of that the... That is not to be discussed in front of outsiders, Alistair. Oh, no, 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 of course not. Yes, uh, but he, uh... But Mr. Col... Sir, consider the possibilities... While I may be a stranger to you, sir, that is not the case with Mr. Vincent. You are as easily the outsider here as I am. This does appear to be an authentic little ritual, but a little ritual is all it is. What gave you the impression it was worth bringing it to us, much less to me directly? I, uh, it, that is, uh... If you felt you must bring it to us, you should have spoken to August, or Roberto, or even Brandon, though I can't appreciate why you wouldn't have. There is a structure to these things, Alistair. One does not bypass links in the chain of command. I know you weren't a soldier, but even you should know this if much. If I may ask, the fault in your legs, is it congenital or acquired? I'm, I'm sorry? 
I see that you are confined to a chair. Is this a disability with which you were born, or which was gained over the clearly considerable length of your life? Oh, now, Albert, that isn't... Mr. Colt... I'm... I'm sorry, he shouldn't have... Uh, that's not something that you... Acquired. An unfortunate side effect of aging, but he's as sharp as ever and dedicated to leading us to the glorious completion of our goal. It can be reversed. Exactly, like I said. Think of it, resetting the clock, giving you back all the time you lost in research. My legs. Your legs. And all the other effects of time. This is why I came to you. I know that you're a... Well, there are rumours that you're looking for your successor. Not that I would put any stock in gossip, of course, and we are thriving underneath your leadership, and I wouldn't wish for anyone else... You can give me youth. I knew you'd want to hear more. I couldn't bring it to anyone else. They could have misused Not it. youth. Never youth. But the body and constitution of the young. Who are these people? The one in charge. I can almost place his voice. If they just say his name, I go... And the cost. Cost? The cost. All incantations have a price. What is the price for this one? I think of it less as a cost. More conservation of mass. What? Conservation of mass, as discussed in the works of Mikhail Lomonsov. A thing that has been cannot simply cease to be. It exists in this material world, and thus cannot dissolve into nothing. What is healed from one must be transferred to another. Transferred to another? Oh! What was that? Nothing. Just, just an old building. Whatsoever has made one unwell, including that which has its roots in the simple passage of time, is taken from them and given to someone else. The person treating the injury, being the closest, is historically the likeliest candidate, but we have experimented. So an injury isn't healed? It's just passed on to somebody else? Moreover, passed on to the very individual providing the treatment? Yes, but... This brings us full circle. The fact remains that this ritual has far too high a cost for such a limited use. Well, you should have known better, Alistair. I suppose this is my fault for humoring you. Wait, Mr. Culp, there's... He's, it's much more than this. It does This other... is an interesting parlor trick, at best. Physicians are valuable, Alistair. Unlike you. I know that voice, I'm sure of it. But I can't place from where. And a cost? I haven't seen. The fits. After he provides treatment. I... Yes, I... I understand that, but... Please, just... Listen a little longer. He has other things to tell you. I'm not wasting any more time here tonight. I have successfully transferred to animals. 
Have you now? Why didn't you tell me that? I tried to, sir, but... You say you've figured out how to pass it on to something other than the person performing the ritual? I have. Continue. I have successfully shifted a human subject's infirmity to a non-human host. There are still... complications. More study is required. It appears that the further the receiving organism is from human, the less it is able to take, and the higher the cost still extracted from the physician. However, when the injury itself is given to another, the cost to the physician remains within reason. Transferring the injury to animals. Oh God, the rat, the one in the cupboard, that was it. My arm, he took it for me, the poor creature. I notice that you haven't told us what that cost is. The place where I had secreted myself allowed me to hear only. I could not see into the doctor's workroom, could not observe what was done within. As such, I did not understand what I heard then, until much later. Oh, God! I had no idea! Mm, and this happens with every use. In some ways, it seems the manifestations are unique to each situation. And I have thus far been unable to predict them. Is it... uncomfortable? Not in the slightest. In fact, I have found it to be quite useful. I know that if we found the right people, they'd want this, um... change. And really, it, it, it isn't so bad, is it, Albert? Fascinating. May I take it that I am of interest now, to your organization? I'm not sure. This would be very useful when the ma- When our work is finished. Perhaps useful enough to warrant my support for your request for admission to the Order. For now, interesting as it is, I don't think many would be willing to undergo such a dramatic change. Even in service of her goal. I see. And if I told you that the change would not be necessary for much longer, that I was near to perfecting the transfer of that cost as well? I would say that that would, in fact, gain my recommendation. I see. Then, gentlemen... I believe I have work to do. Excuse me. Yes, wonderful. Do you, um, do you need anything, Doctor, to continue development? I require the same as before. Ah, of course. Um, I'll, uh, see what can be arranged. Good night, Alistair. Good night. Mr. Coleman. Coleman? Of course. The Coleman Library. The opening gala. That's where I know the boy. That is not 
the sound of an old building. Alistair, you did say we were alone, didn't oh, you? Oh, I'm, I'm sure we're just, um, uh, well, I know we, it's, it's, a. Uh, I'll go check. I fled to my chambers and took to my bed, replaying the doctor's words over and over in my head. It was a long time before I slept. This really is some story you're telling. It is not a story, Detective. I have begun to think that you might not, in fact, believe what I am telling you and are simply letting me hand you the rope with which to hang me. I believe it. I mean, I believe you believe it. Those are not precisely the same thing. What is it that you doubt the veracity of? Didn't anyone ever tell you not to end a sentence with a preposition? Of which element do you doubt the veracity? Well, see, you're telling me the doctor did this and the doctor did that. And I'm pretty sure we're going to get to the point when you said the doctor did it. He was the actor, the uh, original mover behind all that came to be. Thing is, Mr. Kent, outside your testimony, we don't have any actual evidence that this von Leichenberg fella actually exists. Still with me, Mr. Kent? Um, I'm not sure I am. You said, uh, what are you talking about? It's simple. There's no such person as Dr. Albert von Leichenberg. How can that be? You tell me. I'm sorry. I don't understand. Exactly what it says on the tin. There is no von Leichenberg. Or, if there is, he didn't do a lick of business in the city under that name. The lease on the warehouse is in your name. I had contact through my family. It was easier for me to arrange it. Rent got paid in cash, and the landlord says he only ever saw you when you went around the place. The doctor had important work to do. Dolores Joyce, the cleaning girl, says you're the one who hired her, and she never saw hide nor hair of anyone but you. He talked about your partner plenty, though. He didn't have that time to spare for telling me We canvassed the local shops, bars, even questioned the bums. Not a single one remembered anyone anything like the doctor. And you do realise you accused one of the most important men in the city, right? It's not like you can just waltz up town, knock on the door and just ask to talk to old Maximilian. But I'm a professional. Went ahead and followed up. Made a damn appointment and everything. Never did talk to him, though. Instead, I got me an appointment with Captain Harlow, who made it very clear my job is to find criminals and not harass pillars of the community. But the patients, his patients, what about them? See, that's the thing, Mr. Kent. We can't find any of them either. What? That is... that's impossible. Don't know what to tell you, pal. You can't have looked very hard. What about what about the Cook family? Or Hannah Roy or uh, the twins? Their name was Harrington, I think. Yeah. I've got the list. Some of them we couldn't locate. Exactly. They would have told you but about the ones who we could didn't know what we were talking about. Most of them said they hadn't been to the doctor in years. 
They're lying. Every one of them? Sorry, Mr. Kent, but when a dozen people tell me one version of a story, and one tells me the other, it doesn't take a genius to figure out who's the liar. None of this makes any sense. You're telling me. Why don't you just go ahead and tell me the rest of it, like you think it happened? And when you've got it all out, we can put our heads together and get to the bottom of the whole thing. Together. Alright? Alright. So, you listened in on that late night meeting. What then? After I heard the doctor explain what his medication actually did, I became obsessed with seeing the results. The poor, dumb animals to whom our human ills were transferred. I did not believe what the doctor was doing to be wrong. There is no sin in holding the life of a man above the life of a beast. But I needed to know. To experience with my own senses what this transference entailed. I think that, despite what I had experienced, I retained enough rational skepticism to need proof that I could see and touch myself. Still, the doctor's preference for privacy prevailed, and I could not obtain entry to his workroom, where he presumably kept the pitiful things that would receive the patient's wounds. I continued to watch, discreetly of course, for my chance to enter his workroom while he was away. It did not come. Instead, I was presented with the opportunity to secretly observe something much more mysterious and fascinating. The doctor, as he prepared the medication... After the night I was nearly caught while surreptitiously listening, I had made it my business to learn every inch of the warehouse. All the places where one could easily hear conversations from other parts of the building. The narrow hallways allowing passage from room to room, and the spaces where the metal roof and dropped ceiling were far enough apart to admit a prone human form. And as it happened, one of those such spaces could be found directly above the doctor's workroom. The workroom below me had been modified a great deal since the last time I had been inside. I saw no sign of the furniture I'd moved from the storefront. Instead, the room was strangely empty, its contents shoved up against two of the walls. The ones with doors into our shared space and into the alley behind the warehouse were empty. The third held two metal cabinets, one closed with a large lock, the other standing open, displaying several shelves full of enough liquor to stock a well-equipped bar, and the others full of brown medicine bottles, both full and empty. The last wall was lined with a stack of what seemed to be large packing crates or boxes, covered with a stained tarpaulin. In the center of the room, a new metal table had replaced the wooden one at which the doctor had previously worked. It was there that he stood, tools spread out before him. Ugh. Blue cat bourbon. Again. Oh. 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 Vile. How many bottles of this swill must I? For a wealthy man, Alistair has no more taste than... Well, can't be helped. And after all, he's not here to be drunk. Now, ink. Where did I put... Ah, there. And... Aha, yes. He carefully placed the bottle from which he drank in the center of the table. I could see the elongated blue shape of the cat on the bottle. Next came a row of four empty medicine bottles, and one that was full of something dark and viscous. 
He then took a step back and examined the objects as if to check their placement, nudging one a little to the right, one a little back, changing the angle of another ever so slightly. When they were arranged to his satisfaction, he took a breath, then began to draw symbols directly onto the surface of the table, encircling the bottles. As he finished each sigil, they... They seemed to eat their way into the table, just slightly, and gain an unhealthy patina as if of engine oil. And all the while he chanted, Sagut Pozrat ye Korikriv Itu ye Korikriv It began low, an almost inaudible string of syllables in a cadence that was almost but not quite familiar, that scratched as they passed through my ears like a nagging itch I was unable to reach. Pozrat ye Korikriv Itu ye Korikriv Pli ye aya. Pozrat ye Korikriv, Itu ye Korikriv, Pozrat ye Korikriv, Itu ye Korikriv, Plie aya, Pozrat ye Korikriv, Itu ye Korikriv, Pozrat ye Korikriv, Itu ye Korikriv, Plie aya. Pozrat ye, Korikriv, Itu ye, Korikriv, Pozrat ye, Korikriv, Itu ye, Korikriv, Plee aya, Pozrat ye, Korikriv, Itu ye, Korikriv, Pozrat ye, Korikriv, Itu ye, Korikriv, Plee aya, Pozrat ye, Curry crave, eat to ye, curry crave, Pozrat ye, curry crave, eat to ye, curry crave, plee ye, a Pozrat ye, curry crave, eat to ye, curry crave, Pozrat ye, curry crave, eat to ye, curry crave. It must have been the shape of the roof, fumbling sound toward me, but as the doctor continued his litany, the volume increased, and increased, and increased. His words became a roar, pounding in my head as clearly as though he were screaming in my ear. I covered my ears, trying to block out the sound and mitigate its shattering intensity, but it had no effect. And still the sound grew. I wanted to leave this world space, to escape the tumultuous cacophony, but I was unable to move. My limbs locked in place as if the sound were a physical force, and yet it continued to increase, until I thought my eardrums would burst with it. I was rendered unconscious. I do not know for how long. But when I came to, the doctor now stood before the open cabinet, where he was arranging bottles on the shelves. My eyes were drawn back to the table, as if without my volition. I had a clear, unobstructed view now. It was clean, the metal empty and unmarked, with no trace of the symbols or residue of their removal. But it wasn't the surface on which my gaze rested. It was the metal shackles bolted to it, two at each end, and the object which lay between them, its tip blackened with ink, 
clearly what the doctor had used to inscribe his spell. A human index finger, neatly severed from its hand between the proximal phalange and metacarpal. Hmm. Only that. What do you mean? Well, I'd thought the description of a severed finger being used as a writing implement would warrant a uh, more dramatic response. I've been on the job for 26 years. I've seen all sorts of body parts used for all sorts of things. Not much feels dramatic anymore. Oh. So, do you want to tell me what happened with the lass? Which one? There's more than one. The Stanley lass, Lorraine. I thought you loved her. I intended to marry her. It's not the same thing. It seems like you don't give a damn about her. Sitting here, telling me this bullshit story about magic, instead of what really matters. And what is it that really matters? The people you... Sorry. The people the doctor killed. Is that what matters? You really are crazy if you've got to ask. I suppose it will have to be discussed at some point, won't it? Yeah. So, what did you do to her? Lorraine came to visit me again a few days after the events I just described. She was not happy with me. I can hardly show my face at the club after you neglected to attend dear Mrs. Harris White's brunch. They won't even ask after you anymore. And when I ran into Tabitha at Le Gaguinon du Soleil, she pretended she didn't see me. Teddy, I know you don't care about your reputation, but you could at least think of mine. I'm sorry, sweetheart. I intended to attend, truly. I meant to work only a moment, then suddenly the whole afternoon was gone. You do own a watch, dear. That lovely one I gave you for your birthday. Of course, I, I have it right, um... I thought I put it... Uh, oh, it should be, um... Hmm. <laughs> you haven't lost it! I... that is... I must have... Uh, just a moment. <sighs> this is entirely too much. I have tried to be understanding, tried to follow Mama's advice, to let men be men and have their little enthusiasms, but you simply cannot keep going along like this. I won't have it. I, uh, I'm afraid I don't understand. Uh, this job, this doctor of yours, I simply will not allow you to continue to work with him if it means you abandon your responsibilities to me and to our family. You are a grown man, Frederick, and you are going to come home with me and stop all this silliness. No, Lorraine. <laughs> what? I am not going to stop my work with the doctor. And in order to continue that work, I need to remain here. But you, I, I said you- I understand. This is difficult for you, sweetheart. But this is what it is to be a doctor's wife. Our own needs must always come second to the patient's. You aren't a doctor! Not in name, perhaps, but in practice. What on earth do you mean by that? What ideas has this doctor been giving you? 
a chance to fulfill my life's purpose. I, I'm not sure you'd understand. Ugh, this is not acceptable, Frederick. Who does he think he is turning your head? Oh, I am going to go in there this minute and give him a piece of my mind. I'm afraid that isn't possible, Lorraine. The doctor is a very busy man and can't be interrupted. You, I'm going right Calm now. Calm down, Lorraine, sweetheart. Oh. You're going to hurt yourself. Oh. oh, you brute! Let me go! Let me go! Oh. Oh. Frederick, Walter Kent, if you do not let go of me this instant! I'm sorry, sweetheart. Did I hurt you? I am fine. No thanks to you! Please understand, I love you. I want to marry you, but I also love my work and am committed to see it through. And this means I will be continuing my study with Dr. von Leichenberg. Well, if that's how you feel about it, I will just have to reconsider how I feel about you! <sighs> So, that's why you did it? Because she ended things? Hurt your pride? Of course not. Lorraine had always been emotional. It was part of her appeal. The way she felt things so deeply and acted on them so strongly, but uh, no one could say that her emotions were particularly consistent. Sure, but it had to make you mad, didn't it? For her to just walk out on you like that? Mad? No, not at all. I assumed that she would quickly forget this argument as she had forgotten all her others. So you just sat and stewed in it? How she didn't treat you right? How she acted like she was the boss because she had the money? And the more you thought about it, the more it ached you. Till so you had to do something? No, of course not. Are you all right, Detective? Your face has gotten quite flushed. I'm fine. What happened to Lorraine Stanley? Oh, I'd uh, learned by then that when her temper flared, the best course was to simply give her time to come around on her own. So I returned to my work and turned my thoughts to matters I believed to be more important than the hysterias and vagaries of feminine brains. My intent was to speak to the doctor about what I'd seen and heard about the ritual he had performed, the words he had spoken, about the actual means by which he performed his miracles— but as if he knew I needed to speak to him alone, he studiously avoided exactly that circumstance. I continued to serve as his assistant, together treating patients with the efficient synchronicity that comes from many hours spent working side by side. But as soon as the patient, rid of whatever malady had brought them to the clinic, took their leave, the doctor likewise vanished into his workroom without giving me the chance to say more than a few words. After several days of this, I decided it was time to take more direct action to facilitate a conversation. So after the healing, the restoration of a wasted and atrophied leg had been completed, rather than escort the patient out, I simply pointed them toward the exit and took myself out of the exam room to wait in front of the workroom door. He would not be able to slip past me again. We would speak. I would discover what he was really doing. I would learn to do it myself.